When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Yo, what's up? It's episode 143 of Potter Bitch! And on this episode, I'm talking to Esther Minito, an Essex stroke Lebanese comedian who was winner of the best show at the Leicester Comedy Festival last year. And it's a lovely, lovely chat. Now, as you know, and I've said it in other episodes, I also do another uh, podcast called DICTV Radio, which is a sketch podcast. And here's an example of what you'll hear on that one. Police is filmed on location on the streets of Florida. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Florida 911. Hello, I'm calling for Wolf Wolf Dog Rescue Center. How can I help you? We have an intruder. I can hear someone in the kennel. We'll send over a team immediately, sir. We got a call saying you have an intruder. Oh, thank God you're here. I can still hear him in the kennel. Have you seen the intruder? No, but I can hear him talking to the dogs in there. In here? He says, let them all in, let them all in. Did you see at the bottom? Come out with your hands behind your head. Police, we're coming in. Thousands and thousands flooding across the border. Thousands, they've never seen anything like it. There's never been... Oh, no, it's just him again. What's going on? We know this guy. And I'll just say, do you miss me yet? They found thousands and thousands and thousands of votes. So we're going to watch that very closely. And after that, you'll watch Pennsylvania and... Wisconsin and Michigan and New Hampshire. Mr. President, you're going to have to leave now. It's Donald Trump. China. He keeps breaking in anywhere he thinks he can make a speech. Come on, sir. Time to go back to your island. Everybody knows it. You know that. A lot of strange things happen. You know, very strange, very strange. about that man so in the last few weeks i've i've been reading joan didion um there's a great uh, documentary about her on netflix i think it's called slouching towards bethlehem and i hadn't heard of her until i saw her name mentioned believe it or not on wendy james's instagram and uh i picked up on that and then i Watch that, and then I ordered two of her books. That so that's slouching towards Bethlehem, and a center cannot hold. And they're brilliant. Two books of essays. I would highly recommend them. 
both of the titles of these books are taken from one poem called The Second Coming by W.B. Yeats. And I, the book Slouching Towards Bethlehem has the poem in the first introduction to the book. And uh, it's an amazing poem called The Second Coming, yeah, and written back after the First World War. And it's kind of this book of feeling of impending something's about to happen kind of thing. Um, I guess it was after 1916, the Easter Rising, after World War One, and after the last flu uh, pandemic and W.B. Yeats's wife, pregnant wife, got the flu and there was a high risk of uh, death if you were a pregnant woman. It, it was quite um, bad a lot of pregnant women died from the flu and i guess that must have influenced the poem and that feeling of of uh what's going on that we have now with this pandemic and all the things that happened in the last year like the black lives matter marches and the extreme right wing storming of the capitol hill and trump and all that madness and the uprise of right-wing and fascist politics in europe and and around the world probably in brazil in india hungary poland all these very supposedly strong men leaders who are absolutely not strong like trump are absolutely useless it's funny that the pandemic came along and uh showed them up to be useless and sadly many many thousands died probably because of these ridiculously shite leaders and if you want to see an example of toxic masculinity it probably is those people like Trump and Bolsonaro and um, I can't remember the names of them but the uh, leaders in India in Hungary and Poland and yeah so uh, what was I going to say? So that book, those two books are absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's a lot of uh, interesting reading about uh, the 60s in the first book, Slouching Towards Bethlehem. And just the, um, it's really that um, time at the end of the 60s when the whole thing of peace and love and all that was beginning to wane and it was actually turning out to be quite, it was the death of the 60s really, yeah. So after, you know, the, you know, the murders, the Charles Manson murders and all that kind of thing. And another thing that's really good on Netflix, if you're looking for something to watch, is Fish Tank. Great film. Directed by a woman, Andrea Arnold. And I've watched another one of her films this week called American Honey. Both of these films are amazing. She's a brilliant director. I've only, li I've only watched these two films, but I'm down to watch uh, more of her work. Uh, but yeah, on Fish Tank. Fish Tank on Netflix. Brilliant. And you know this podcast is on uh, Headstuff, the Headstuff platform. Uh, there's lots of brilliant podcasts on there. And uh, you can also subscribe to a couple of different podcasts uh, to get extra stuff. I have a live show on my uh exclusive material that you would get if you subscribe to my podcast and other people have other brilliant things i have a live video of a show and uh, we'll be putting up more stuff and this, just uh, check out all the other different uh, podcasts that are on head stuff they're absolutely fantastic and i will be bringing out another one to do with 
uh, Father Ted in the very near future have recorded uh, loads of them so it's a bit like the uh, Sopranos podcast on the Sopranos I've interviewed lots of people who are uh, all the actors and writers and all that kind of thing so uh, that's coming up as well um, yeah so in the meantime here's Esther Manito So, uh, Esther, you grew up in Essex, yeah? I am. I'm in Essex. I am. That's not response C. This is what's happened when I've been on podcasts. <laughs> I am. I am Essex. Yes, I did. I was born in Essex. Born and raised in Essex, yeah. Right, in a small town, was it? In a little small town. It's quite. When I was growing up there, I always thought it was, um, I thought it was horrible. But now when I go back there, I'm like, God, this is really nice. Mind you, it's been gentrified quite a lot. It was a bit of a squaddy town at one point. Um, so it was very kind of like old Tudory type buildings, but then filled with loads of pubs with squaddy soldiers. But it's all been done up now and it's all like gentrified and quaint and filled with nice, nice things. So it's a lot nicer now. I'd go there now. Would you? Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. that's what growing up and having children does to you, though. Makes I know. Sense. Suddenly you just go, oh, I just want... Just want a nice, I don't know, a, a good bus service. That's all I require. <laughs> well, is your dad is from the, Le- from, you call it the Lebanon? Do you know, it is the Lebanon, but it tends to be only Irish people that do that. When we were, when we were going around Ireland, as a kid, we used to go around Ireland quite a lot. And they would, uh, everyone would say to him about the Lebanon. And I was like, why does everyone say the Lebanon? He was like, oh, it's supposed to be the Lebanon, but it's only the Irish that seem to say that. I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, a lot of Irish so, uh, soldiers were in peacekeeping forces over there, actually. So they probably got to know it. Yes, there was. Because my mother's sister married an Irishman who had a son who was in the UN forces and then was killed in Lebanon. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, because I remember when I was working in a secondhand record shop, uh, uh, soldiers would come back from the Lebanon with bootleg cassette tapes of real albums like <laughs> from the Lebanon <laughs> they were like you get loads of little shops over there and they just record yeah albums onto except it was like proper set up shops and they're like what what album do you want for like no money and you're like this is amazing but we set up like proper proper shops it's not even like kind of like your hooky man down down a back alley it'd be like a proper shop and they're like no we just we just um copyright these albums I'm like, surely, surely that should be kind of some attempt at hiding that. <laughs> yeah. <No>? All right. <laughs> Just got your price list in the window. No, it's totally normal. <laughs> That's fantastic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and the record companies were just not going to touch this. We're not going to do anything. Yeah, we're not going out there. So <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic, actually. That's an advantage. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so when was the first time you went to the, to the Lebanon? Um, well, we used to go, uh, we used to go to Tunisia and then we went, we used to go to Lebanon. We had family in Tunisia. So Lebanon, probably like 10, nine, 10 when I first went. And then we spent every summer there. Oh, nice. I don't know what was, 
we used to go before that because we had family. My dad's, uh, they were part of the Arab League, so they were based in Tunisia. And we went to Tunisia before that for a couple of summers. And then we went to Lebanon. But I think because I was born when it was the peak of the Arab-Israeli war. So I think things need, I think my mother was very much like, shit has to calm down before we go back. So we went, yeah, so probably, yeah, when I was about nine or ten. Yeah, okay. But I mean, I know you said in, in your, in your biography that you felt how you fit in with, in Britain or whether you're like. Oh God, yeah. Well, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had the Gulf War going on here, didn't we? So we were just rife with anti-Arab propaganda. So I didn't want to say, saying the word Arab literally felt like I was just coming out going, I'm, I mean, I, I guess it's been so, um, degrade not degrade I can't I can't articulate myself it's been so badly represented and so tarnished I think that maybe um people who are gypsies or travelers feel the same way of just having this like you're constantly receiving aggressive stereotypes in the media so coming out and saying I'm an Arab just felt like I was literally walking into the middle of a room just going so I'm a savage um this is just so it just felt really terrifying to say that and I just used to try and like keep it quiet and my dad would wear like the white gelaba and I'd answer the door to my friends and I'd just like, <laughs> ignore the wizard behind the curtain it's fine I'm normal it's cool um so you were never really allowed and and he was so so aggressively Arab like he he was like it's almost like when you leave your your home and then you go and live somewhere else, you become a caricature of every stereotype because you just don't want to lose what you're about. And he was terrified that we would not feel like we're out. So he was just like really ingrained everything in us um, to the point where he was maybe even borderline racist about British people. And then you're kind of in this weird environment where you're like, but I am half British and this just feels like really racist towards me. And then, yeah, so it was, it was really confusing. (laughs) You grow up and you're like, no, it's fine. I'm just Esther. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. I mean, because, you know, there's so many Irish have emigrated and, uh, and they're more into Irish dancing and music than actual people who stayed in Ireland. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can totally get that. I totally get that. I mean, my grandmother was Irish and she, Every single family occasion, so my mum's mum, every single family occasion was just her sobbing to Irish folk songs oh. all the time. That was just how every family gathering ended up, just a lot of sobbing. So she'd be sobbing over the Irish folk songs. My dad would just be sobbing over Lebanese folk songs. And we're just in the middle going, no, this is just just another Christmas in our house. <laughs> It's just really random. Well, like when my dad and my dad took my grandparents, because my grandfather was like this really unionist Geordie. And then my grandmother, she was Irish parentage, but she grew up in in Gateshead as well. And they were really unionist. And so it was like the miners was like the big political hot hot topic. I remember for some reason my grandfather couldn't go on the miners strike march. So my dad took my grandmother and I just remember thinking that is the funniest image I've ever seen just this <laughs> middle-aged Middle Eastern guy and this very frail little Irish lady um just marching along with Arthur Scargill I was like what 
yeah. what a world yeah that's kind of cool that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing yeah Thatcher must have been terrified <laughs> she's like it's everything everything I'm scared of in one bundle <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was like this is a woman who complained all the time like my grandmother would just moan she was always in pain always moaning and he was like this is a woman who's just marched about 15 miles and screamed herself hoarse <laughs> he was like she's had the best day ever so, oh my yeah, god funny. your grandmother sounds amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh bless her yeah, yeah. And is that why you you would go, you say you go to Ireland for for trips, like with your parents? Oh, yeah. So my mum went through this kind of wanting to, you know, find out more about her mother's side. So we spent a couple of, uh, a couple of, not summers, I think they were kind of like Easter, Easter breaks, uh, just doing this thing where we'd just go from um, B&Bs like Connemara, like we'd start off in Dublin and then go around to like Connemara and, um, and just go and stay in like farmhouses and stuff. And it was, yeah, you know. That thing where you go into the post office and it, it's a pub out the back and you don't leave. And you're just like, this holiday just seems to be about my parents getting pissed in lots of different shops. And yeah. <laughs> we seem to just pop in and not leave for seven hours. <laughs> and then they've got no recollection of this holiday happening. It just seems to be me and my sister just constantly going, this is quite embarrassing. Um, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I remember we were in... Um, Connemara and there was a guy who only spoke Gaelic didn't speak any English but he was also deaf and I think he assumed that my dad was a Gaelic speaker (laughs) and we just watched and my dad's deaf too so he couldn't understand and he thought I was just got really strong Irish accent and they sat at the bar for the best part of the day and I was like that is two conversations nobody knows what's going on but they have talked for most of the day That's funny. Yeah, that is funny. I've seen men do that. I've seen other men do that. I've seen my my ex's dad talk to an Italian guy and neither of them spoke the same language. (laughs) You know, when we say men don't listen, if that's not evidence, I don't know what it is because you don't get women doing it. You wouldn't yeah. get a woman sat propped up at a bar just going, no idea what's going on. But with a guy, it's like, as long as there's someone there absorbing <laughs> my sound, <laughs> I am set. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Um, and they just say things, oh, mangiare, oh, whiskey, whiskey, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, you yeah. just have to do a lot of nodding. I remember <laughs> the only thing this guy, this Irish guy could say in English was no dog. <laughs> Not sure. He just kept going, no dog, no dog. And my dad was like, see? And I was just like, what is this conversation? No dog. Gaelic for I don't understand. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, maybe. Could have, uh, been a, could have been an Arab slur for all we know. Well, they say that, um, you know, in black culture where they'd say, uh, I, dig, I dig you, man, or whatever. That that comes from Irish Gaelic because it's digging me. It means I understand. I understand. Oh, really? Yeah, they say that maybe a lot of the Irish uh, immigrants and the uh, black Americans were working together, you know, on, on um, and they uh, picked up. Well, maybe it was Dig. Gaelic, which is, which is the same as I understand in, in Gaelic. Which oh, is, maybe it wasn't Dog. Maybe it was Dig. I, no, understand, I understand you. Did, I get you. Your family did, never will move to Panama <laughs> and live with me in this post office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you went to study politics. Um, oh, wow. 
Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've been I've been following you throughout your life. I've been behind the bins um, leading up to this moment. Um, I've been I'm a stalker. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, how... <laughs> <laughs> what a way to find out! <laughs> oh, this is really awkward. Do I just press leave? <laughs> Sorry. Why did you Why did you pick politics to to study? Because um, I. Um, I didn't want to go to university and I wasn't very academic, but that's not an option mm. um, when you're when you're the, the child of any immigrant. So it was you will go to poly- you will go to university and you'll study something which sounds vaguely academic. Now, I couldn't do medicine because I didn't understand any of that. And then I couldn't do law because that sounded really hard and I was never going to get the grades for it. So politics was like that's the thing that my dad can still go and tell people and be proud about. And I reckon I can do it. So that's why I chose it. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. So make your parents proud. It was, yeah. Make, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so- I did want to do media studies, but he was just like, no way, that's for stupid people. So I did politics and then I ended up doing a master's in um, mass communication, which is essentially political spin doctoring in the media. And then I ended up teaching media. So got there in the end. Oh, so you were teaching media. You got something out of it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something I did. I got something out of it. <laughs> got got a bit of a paycheck. Right, right, right. Uh, and uh, I guess then you started in comedy because you were you found you were a mother and you were getting bored at home. <laughs> it's really boring. Do you have children? I do. Yeah, but they're uh, my daughter is is nineteen and my son is twenty two. So so you're kind of in the engaging stage now my kids are really cool now and I love babies I do love babies but there is uh, like babies are incredibly cute like I will salivate over babies but they it is quite boring to be at home with a baby you do go a bit mad yeah 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 I mean they're quite boring uh, until they're able to have opinions (laughs) three or four and then you can yeah like now I could go with my kids and have a good day but and it's a little bit like being, you know, we've been in lockdown for so long. And then when you came out of lockdown and you had your first kind of social interaction, I don't know about you, but I found myself just being really creepy and weird. And like, I didn't know, like, all of a sudden I just was like, oh my God, I'm standing so close and I'm not like speaking and I'm not ending words properly. And it's just, and I felt a little bit like that. I I went to a baby group with my son and I was just sat there going, I don't know how to talk to anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. I literally just feel tired and I've lost all ability to communicate and so a mate of mine was doing a comedy course Mm. and I was like well that'd be quite cool because that's something you know once a week get me out of the house Mm -hmm. and then there we go off I went yeah did you go to a I went to a parent toddler group and I was the only man there and uh I I oh um, my god he's amazing he's amazing look at that dad with his yeah. own children. No, the athlete. Incredible. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get such props for just being a dad who's looking after his kids. But, uh, um, but I found I didn't know as much about my kids as, as, as the mothers because they would ask me, when did he start walking? And I go, uh, I, I don't know. I know he's walking now, but, <laughs> and at one point he wasn't walking. But if I, I die. It's really important that somebody else steps in because I'm not sure that my husband knows where my kids go to school. 
So it is that thing of like, I have had that conversation with other mothers where they're like, if I die, could you let the doctor know what jabs they've had? Because he won't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my husband's turned around going, no, he's turning three. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's four. And it's like, no, is he? Oh, wow. When did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. While you were sitting there absorbed in the BBC sports app. Yeah. 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 No, so no, but I'm not. Some mums are really good at knowing stuff. I've got no memory. Like I, I'm not very good at remembering when they walked and stuff. It's all just a bit of a blur. I'm not very good. But then I'm not very good with dates anyway, so I don't really know time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just really. I find it amazing that 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 some mums would know exactly the week to the week when they start. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. And I used to get really confused with the age as well because people be like, they're 37 months, four weeks. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> what? So that's one and a, one and a half. And you're just like, why are we doing this? Like, how long does the months continue? Is it going to be like your 19 year old comes home and you're like, it's four thousand weeks? And... But we're going to stay in months because I'm a good parent, and that's what they do. They count in months. <laughs> they're not, they're not cheap year sluts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because they're like, "How old's your child?" And you're like, "I don't know. They'll be too soon." Like that's, and it gets worse. Like by the second child, you're just like, "I don't know." Yeah, well, I think it's a boy. We're with the second child. Yeah, yeah. The second child is obviously the one that you never take the camera out for at all. (laughs) I was the third child, so there's just no photographic evidence that I exist. I'm like, there is no evidence, and they're like, "Well, by that point, the marriage is falling apart. We didn't even plan you. We were hoping to get a cooker. Like this, just <laughs> third must be. Yeah, we never went for the third. That would have been interesting. No. Yeah. Um, maybe we did have a third, and I just can't remember. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one mucking around. I'm yeah. your third child. This has all been a ruse. So I've been stalking my own child. Well. Um, <laughs> turning into a BBC drama which has a really really bad ending as uh, as I've seen on Twitter from Line of Duty people just like livid livid at the ending of that yeah I've heard that yeah but they always are yeah, livid they were, people were livid at the end of Sopranos uh, the last episode of any drama turns out to be disappointing yeah. it's like the end of a party though it's never going to be as good no that I've literally just made up and I think that is pretty much philosophy worthy you could put that on a coaster that's fantastic like the end of <laughs> like the end of a party Look, that's, that, that's amazing that you said that you just had that you know i was interviewing i don't do you know susie quattro she played bass anyway and she's had hits in the 70s and while i was talking to her she said something like in the ear of the beholder and then she went oh my god that's amazing sorry i have to write that down <laughs> Do you ever do that though with comedy? You'll say like you'll say something to your friends and they all laugh and you're like, I'm "Gonna write that down. That's gonna be that's gonna be on stage." Yeah, next Friday, and then you do it on stage and people are like, "It's not funny because it's not in the whole fucking context of the conversation." <laughs> you vacuous, <laughs> self-absorbed twat. You're like, "No, sure." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh yeah, and if you're with a bunch of comedians, you go, "I, I thought of that. I thought of that just in case someone else." <laughs> Is, uh... everyone's laughing you're like no I get, I get that I definitely get that you didn't think of that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah 
Uh, oh, so so hang on. Let, so you started a, a writing course. What was it? A, a comedy writing course, was it? No, it was a stand-up course, but it was like you you were learning. Well, the way I saw it was I'll go every week and then I'll, I'll write comedy. And then at the end of it, you were supposed to do a showcase. And I was like, oh. well, obviously, I'm not going to do the showcase because that will be horrific. And I don't want to. Um, so I'll call in sick. And that was my plan. And then I did the showcase. And then I was like, oh, I quite like that. And then I, I carried on. Oh, cool. And um, that wasn't like a gig then. That was just a, well, it was a gig, but it was in front of your fellow students. It, it was in front of your fellow student. No, we did. It was in front of like people that you could invite. So it was kind of like a nativity. So it was all your family coming to watch you do your first set. And when I watched the video back, I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking slowly. And then I remembered it's because I drank most of the bar to get the courage to go up there, which is why I was talking incredibly slowly. <laughs> oh, really? That's hilarious, because I like, did that. And then, <laughs> I. <laughs> That's amazing, because I remember the first time I did a gig, it was a double act, but I drank a bottle of wine before I went up, and I was so nervous, that didn't make me really drunk. Do you know what I mean? I mean my yeah, yeah, yeah. adrenaline was so... Yeah, my adrenaline was pumping, but it isn't until I'm on stage, and I watched it back, I was like, wow I'm wasted but I don't think you could have t- you you wouldn't have been able to tell unless you know me and I'm quite a fast talker mm. but the sheer booze volume I wouldn't be able to do that now no way oh no, I, no I, way. I, I get nervous if I've if I've had a drink I can have like maybe a bottle of beer before I go on but if I have too much to drink or I have like even a second drink and I start to feel it relax me a little bit I'm like oh no that's not a good sign that makes me quite nervous I feel like I'm kind of not able to negotiate my surroundings oh yeah i can tell i can tell when i had a drink i'm just not quite as sharp even one drink because i'm not as nervous as i used to be so it doesn't i've nothing to counteract it um so because you're not as nervous i go to every gig hoping i die (laughs) i'm like please let somebody shoot me from a passing vehicle so i don't have to do this gig yeah but you've not been doing it that long have you um yeah, so what are we now, five years? Five years, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that feeling goes away after another maybe two years. That feeling of total nervousness. Total dread, going to every... My husband was like, why do you do a career that you dread? And I'm like, it's like running a marathon. It's the after feeling. It's so lovely. Or well, the moment I take the mic, I relax. The moment I pick up mm. the mic, but the build-up to it. Yeah, it's very similar to running a race because there's a voice in your head going, you don't have to do this. You could just go home and watch TV. <laughs> you could go just home. go and get a job and not do this. And you're like, no, I know. Yeah. For some reason, I feel like I have to. And So uh, when you got on the circuit, did you quickly get into like paid slots or did it take a while? Uh, did I quickly get into paid slots? I guess in the scheme of things, I did. I definitely did my time on the open mic. Uh, that that lovely, lovely, uh, fun time. I definitely did. Yeah, and then I then I guess I kind of did the open spots, and then it was just building up a bit of a reputation, really. And I think like once you you know you'll have some places where you're not flavour of the month in other places that like you and so would invite you back and then you work your way up that way. So yeah, it was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. In terms of, I, I think I was probably, I was three years in by the time I could make it my living. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's pretty good, actually. And, yeah. and I read somewhere that you, you, you would feel pretty devastated if a gig didn't go well when you started out. I mean, I really, that's how I felt as well. I could see other comedians who just seem to, maybe they don't notice they had a bad gig or something. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. If a gig doesn't go well, I just, like, it's just awful. I just felt awful. Mm. And I still do. I really can beat myself up about it because I I put the blame on me. I'm like, what can I, what should I have done? How should, like, what did they want from me? And I see other comedians that really kind of like stand firm in what they're about. And if it doesn't bode well with the audience, they're like, well, it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. I wasn't their cup of tea. That's absolutely fine. And you sometimes, like, I'm the type who's like watching the act before me and seeing what the audience like. And I'm like, man, I just need to rewrite everything so that I can keep yes. that one guy in the third row who looks miserable. So I can make him laugh because he's, he's now how I'm going to, you know, it's, it's down to his reaction, my entire value of being. Um, and I think I, you do get better at it the more you gig. Like you'll just bounce. Like I think Edinburgh's quite good for that when you're doing like absolutely fuck loads of, of spots. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, some work, some don't. It's fine. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, when it's kind of like a, it tends to be if something's got a lot of weight on it, I get so nervous and then it doesn't go how I expect. And then I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Edinburgh does get that out of you. Just having so many gigs, gig after gig after gig. So you can't really, really different be... environments. Yeah. So you can't even think about the last one because you've got another one coming up. Yeah. And it's really good. It's really good for building up that resilience. And in fact, over lockdown, I've done so many gigs on Zoom that I was getting to a point where you can do like maybe even up to 10 in a day. So you're just going from, you know, you're pressing to go into a Zoom call and yeah. You don't know what's behind that Zoom call. You haven't had that chance to walk into a venue and scout out the audience and the rest of it. You just got to crack on with it, and and that's been really good at just keeping that kind of like resilience going. Um, mm. But yeah, and and do you, when did you do Edinburgh? That was 2019, was it? Yeah, I did my debut hour. Yeah, 2019. Okay, and and um, did you feel now that you've kind of you know found your voice? Find my voice. I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, like a lot of people, a lot of acts, and you know, most acts kind of copy someone they. Yeah, I think when I look back at my earlier sets, I probably was like Victoria Wood. I was just doing a shit and Victoria Wood impression. Mm. I was just like, because the stuff I was talking about. Um. So yeah, I think in terms of style and confidence and how I pace myself and not being really shit faced and slow. Um, I've definitely yeah, I definitely feel a bit more. Now I'm Esther on stage, definitely. And was there a theme to your Edinburgh show? Yeah, it was called Crusade and it was about not meeting expectations of identity. So not fulfilling the expectations of what it means to be an Essex girl, an Arab girl, a mother. I think one one review said, oh, they mentioned they were listing all the things of, oh, Esther doesn't feel that she can fill expectations. And then it said, and wife. And I was like, oh, God, that's the worst. I never think of myself as a wife. Like that just seems to be like the word. Imagine, well, tell me about yourself. Oh, I'm a mother. Uh, this is my heritage. I'm a wife. Like you'd be like, oh no, I don't want to hang out with you. That's terrible that you think of that as a a label. Yeah. yeah like, if so. someone said to me, I'm a husband, you're like, yeah, it's really mental. I'm <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I don't even know what that would mean. 
But uh, it certainly wouldn't be good. Yeah, I'm not sure. Right. Could you wouldn't say I'm a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm a girlfriend of someone, actually. So it's just like, it's really mental. I'm a wife. Like, that's a real label to have. It, yeah. No, it was, it was quite interesting. And it's not something I, I talk about my husband, but I don't talk about myself as being a wife. So I found that quite interesting that that was something that was like, oh, and she's, she's also a wife. It's like, okay. It's really Dickensian. She's a wife on the stage. <laughs> and if you, you did, did you change your, is that your original name, your surname? Manito. No, it's my husband's name. Oh, there. That's interesting. I am a wife. <laughs> on her, name. His name. her name, his name. Fucking hell. I find it a bit weird when people, when, um, like someone like Cheryl Cole who kept a name of an ex-husband or, um. Oh, when she got remarried? It's Cher- Cheryl Cole. Cole isn't her original surname. No, because she was married to Ashley Cole. What was yeah. she before? She was Cheryl. So I don't was know. she before? That's going to mm-hmm. bug me. Cheryl. Do you want to Google it? Shall I Google it? Yeah. Cheryl. Um. Guess it first and then Google it. Okay. Cheryl um O'Mara. No, definitely. <laughs> O'Mara. <laughs> Cheryl I'm gonna show you Cheryl Gibbs. Okay, that's a good one. Good. Tweedy. Tweedy, oh yeah, it rings a bell now. Okay. Tweedy. I wouldn't have ever guessed that. Cheryl Tweedy. Yeah, yeah, and once you say it I remember it. I think Cheryl Cole kind of is a better name. It I is. I kind of guess why she kept it. It is. I mean, I suppose it is. Coal is is um, something you get from the ground. Tweed, Tweedy is kind of beige and uh, hard wearing material. But uh, uh, <laughs> thanks for explaining what Tweed and Coal is. <laughs> and in Joe's next podcast, he will be describing <laughs> what cement looks like. Oh God! Yeah, I can cut that out. No, keep that in. That should, that should go on a highlight reel. <laughs> it should. It should, yeah. Oh my god. Um, slightly embarrassing there. Uh, <laughs> no, that's brilliant. <laughs> Coal is something that is removed. <laughs> it is a mineral from the ground. It has a blackish, chalky texture. <laughs> people, there's some, there's some people out there that would listen. There, there is. Honestly, there are, yeah. this is a podcast. Do that. Joe Rooney describes <laughs> materials. Joe Rooney describes matters. Matter. Yeah. Edinburgh hour. You can oh, have a little tray and pass it round and people can like pick up. Mm, yeah, no, he's right. It's chalky. Absolutely. I, I reckon <laughs> that show would totally sell out. So. Five stars. The Scotsman. <laughs> His description of Carl was borderline arousing. And accurate. Yeah. And accurate. Yeah. I love that. It's like, that's the sub course afterwards. It was arousing and accurate. Well, we had to take a break in the middle of this interview because, um, we went off on a tangent and, uh, and then I couldn't find a way to just get back in, uh, slickly, which I quite often do. You don't even notice, but this time I just had to go, this is a break and, uh, here's the next bit. I don't enjoy the amount of hate. <laughs> that if because i think if somebody sees you in person and enjoys you and then wants to book to come and see you again that's really lovely and they really kind of get your style but when people are just flicking through youtube i think female comedians get quite a lot of crap anyway but then 
um because I'm quite an aggressive persona on stage you then get get kind of like it's almost like you can take having a lot more kind of anger thrown your way at why you know why are you such an angry woman and your your poor children and all the rest of it really do you get that mm. that's wild I don't know because there's so many aggressive male comedians um yeah and I mean in terms of like being on stage it's quite good because it means I haven't really had a lot of heckles apart from I've had a couple of experiences which have been unpleasant but they've been kind of like towards comedian the whole you know atmosphere of the night and things like that but I haven't really been targeted the moment I walk on stage and I think that having quite an aggressive persona on stage and and things like that definitely helps with that um but it means, I guess, it's maybe seen as quite threatening and, and therefore it's something which might be considered, I don't know, um, something which, which kind of triggers something, triggers an annoyance if you're, if you're a woman who's kind of very vocal. And you get that, you get that from men. It's men who, who send No, uh, women, well, women, women are funny fish. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of, I think most of the people who like my stand up are women. Mm. And, um, I think cause a lot of like my club set, not so much my show, but my, my club set is based around a lot of the material comes from being a, a wife and, uh, and a mother. And, uh, so I'm talking a lot about, you know, my husband and, um, and my kids and just the kind of like, annoyance of little things and I think that therefore that appeals to a lot of women and it's relatable to a lot of women and I do have a lot of guys who who enjoy my stuff as well um but I have had women say things like um I was really surprised that you were friendly when I spoke to you and also women saying I don't normally like female comedians but I like you which is a compliment but also not but a compliment, compliment <laughs> which amazes me because I'm like what do you do on a night out like let's say you're out with your friends do you just sit there going this is so shit because Tony's not here like if we want to have a good night out and a good laugh mm. we need someone to bring a guy otherwise it's just dry and shit and all we can talk about is knitting and girdles it's like no you go out you have a laugh with your mates because you and your mates are funny and you find each other funny and you say things which are funny Mm. um but it is this one just came up to me once and she went i don't normally like female comedians but i really because she, she said but i liked you and i said oh why do you not normally like female comedians she was like because all they ever do is like talk about their private parts and slag off blokes and i was like you've literally just described my set and she was like no but you did it like like the way you did it was like and i was just like and what she meant was the fact that I was talking about is it not just my sex well, I don't talk about sex anyway but like yeah. talking about my other half rather than dating or try, and it's funny how just literally that little shift she was just like oh no not you but like other and I was just like no you've enjoyed it and it's fine you don't you don't need to it's interesting it. it's just a, if, if you're gonna you know to give a compliment you don't have to Put down every other female comedian before you do. Yeah, I know. And it's so weird because we would just never say, I don't normally like men, but you're okay. Hmm. It just wouldn't happen. Or you wouldn't go into your hairdressers and be like, I normally hate all hairdressers. 
<laughs> but you are amazing. But you are good. So mm. well done. I mean, the only time I might say I wouldn't normally want a male is probably like for a bikini wax. But that's quite a niche. <laughs> yeah. I don't normally like a man to wax for downstairs, but there you are. <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were very good. Actually, a friend of mine had a, a girl come up to him after a show and said, I don't normally like laughing, but you were funny. <laughs> I don't normally like laughing. Yeah. She sounds really fun. <laughs> imagine, th- imagine that being a thought that goes through your head. Yeah. I don't normally laugh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. A... I don't want to do it. I mean, I laugh. You made me. Well, maybe I laugh, but I don't enjoy laughing. Yeah. I'll laugh, but I'm not having a good time. <laughs> That's a psycho. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, back in the day when the comedy scene started in Ireland, I would have had people come up to me saying, I, I don't normally like Irish people would say to me, I don't normally like Irish comedians, but you were funny. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a oh, really, uh, yeah, but it's I a think self-loathing thing. It's a self-loathing thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it is. I mean, I've, I, I mean, I've performed in the Middle East, and and they'll be like, oh, I don't normally like Arab comedians. I like American ones, and that's because in the Middle East, American comedy has just been rammed down our throat as these are the people that know what they're doing. These are the people that understand what humor is. Yeah. We need to kind of pay homage to that. Um, and so when you come along and you're not an American comedian, it's like, oh, my God, well done. Giving that a go. That's not yeah. for you. So, you know, it's yeah, self-loathing. It's, it's when you're made to feel that you don't have a role. And and I think Arabs have that in performance a lot, that they don't, they, they, they feel that there's not a role there for them. For So it's it's a very kind of new thing of showing that there is a role. Yeah. And I think somehow, in some ways, it's a post-colonial thing, sometimes like that, where you don't think you could be as good as... British comedians are American comedians. So I have like the moment someone gets on stage and they have an Irish accent, a Northern accent, so British Northern accent, Scottish accent or American accent. I'm like, I automatically subconsciously, but I have noticed it. I'm automatically like, okay, they know what they're doing. They're fine. They know what they're doing. And I don't want to follow them because I sound like this. (laughs) That's crazy. Oh no, that's ridiculous. Oh, And, but, that leads me on, actually. So you were the first woman to appear in the Dubai Opera House. First, first female, female comedian. Yeah. Comedian. Okay. And was that a, was it a comedy night or <laughs> an opera? <laughs> it was shut down, <laughs> but I got the keys and I stood on stage and I told jokes to an empty but it, opera house. And then I was like, box ticked. That is defo going on my bio. <laughs> I plan to be the first female comedian to do a lot of things uh, illegally. <laughs> um, it was it was part of a comedy night. <laughs> it wasn't like a book group. No, it was a, it was a comedy night called Arabs Not Funny, and it's run by a company called uh, Arts Canteen, and uh, they put on uh, an Arabs Not Funny night. So they do it in London as well, and they put on night on Arabs Not Funny in. Um, so obviously you've been really busy now. Um, and are you are you back now doing live gigs in the UK? Doing one tomorrow. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that will be outdoors. And then uh, I'm back. The moment we can be indoors is May the seventeenth, and I'm gigging that night. Oh, so right. That'll be that'll be weird. 
but fun, hopefully. I mean, yeah. obviously, I'll go to it dreading it. And then I'll enjoy it when I'm there. <laughs> this is the way. This is the Manito way. I'll walk very slowly, chin to chest, depressed, like, oh, like Eeyore. Why won't someone kill me? And then I'll get there, pick up the mic, and I'll have a good time. It'll be, it'll be good. All right, brilliant. I love your stuff on Instagram and, and um, yeah, you're brilliant. So, oh, thank you. I'd love to see you coming over to Ireland, so hopefully maybe you'll be over sometime. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Def- well, it's been really nice talking to you. Thanks for doing this. And um, oh, thanks for having me. And uh, well, thanks a lot. And I'll, I'll see you again sometime. All right. Okay. Yeah. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. I really enjoyed talking to Esther, and I made a bit of a fool out of myself talking about coal, but. Uh, what the hell? It was a bit of an Alan Partridge moment there for me. But uh, I don't care. Because I'm an idiot. Um, yeah, that's it. Look, uh, I'll, I'll see you next week. If if you're, you know, if you're listening to these weekly. If you're not. And this could, you could be listening to me in 2035. And I go, you know, I don't know when I'll see you. Are podcasts still happening in 2035? Send me um, whatever you send in 2035. Uh, Send me some psychic message. It's probably possible in 2035. In the meantime, bye-bye! Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today.